0: Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Silver Screens and Politics. I am one of your hosts, Brett Stewart, and joining me as always is Dominic Ciccocchi. Dominic, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, how are you? I am doing very well. And to remind people, the premise of Silver Screen and Politics is to incorporate the silver screen and politics. It's brilliant, really. Uh, It's so easy, why didn't anyone think of it? I know. So what we do is we take a look at films that are pivotal, uh, not even necessarily pivotal, but insightful looks into political events and political characters not even insightful always you're right some of them are not insightful uh so i suppose it's just a varying a varying set of political biopics and films on historical events, films like the one we have today, which are their own interpretations of events that never happened, but are based within the political realm and real political figures. And all of these different things throughout different genres, we're going to be dealing with Bollywood films, with independent films, uh, with stuff that had limited theatrical releases, and on the opposite side of that, stuff that had massive theatrical releases, stuff like Oliver Stone films. So, uh, Dominic, our film this week I had never heard of before, and it is called Death of a President. I'm going to read a little bit about it, and then what I'd like you to do is tell me about how this came on your radar, because you are the one who introduces me to this sort of stuff. Sure, go ahead. So Death of a President came out in 2006. It is a British docudrama political thriller film about the fictional assassination of President George W. Bush, the 43rd President of the United States, assassinated on the 19th of October... 2007 in chicago the film is presented as a future history docudrama and uses actors archival video footage as well as computer generated special effects to present the hypothetical aftermath of the event and the uh, the impact it had on civil liberties racial profiling journalistic sensationalism And foreign policy this is a film that was directed by a gabriel range and uh we'll get into how much it was made for in the box office all that stuff a little bit later on obviously this is a controversial film how did it come on your radar so something i do usually when i'm bored
1: i go to like video stores and i look at their dvds for sale so this was like one of the dvds they had for sale i'm like oh okay it was like 250 or whatever so then I bought it, and I watched it. That was invigorating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can tell you the whole story how that just didn't work, so I had to buy it online, and then watch that one, and then forget about it for a few years, and then bring it up to you when this was going on, this whole po- podcast idea.
0: I think we should preface that we were literally just at a video store buying an obscure movie just like this for two ninety nine or whatever. Yes. <laughs> so this is something that you still do today.
1: So mark this episode. This is... We're going to talk about this movie probably later on in the show, a few episodes down the line. What is the name of the movie? I don't remember. I have to look at it.
0: (laughs) It's just podcasting at its very finest while Dom goes and finds in the bag of the video store that we were just at. And yes, there are video stores that still exist that you can go and find this stuff at. What is it, Dominic? The Bystander Theory bystander theory all about a woman who is Ted Cruz's daughter who finds in her house that her dad killed JFK.
1: No, but kind okay. of
0: <laughs> minus Ted Cruz. That's more or less what the film sounds like. It is. Um, but we don't know that maybe Cruz is a Zodiac killer and the Kennedy. Assassin, even though that is impossible, given his age. I digress. Death of a President, of course, when it came out, was very controversial. Uh, it was made for $2 million, which is a very small box office. I mean, not a small box office, but a very small budget, right? Very small, especially for something like this, where
1: you need more high-end effects to accomplish what you need to.
0: Yeah, and they only made 289 uh sorry, not 289 869 Wow, that was some real dyslexia right there. Wow. Uh, $869,000 at the box office. That's nothing. Uh, not even half of what it costs to make, let alone uh, promote. But There's a reason was, for that. Right. And that's actually one of the problems they had. So, Dominic, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this film was received by theaters and all that good stuff?
1: Well, because its a it was a assassination idea, concept of a sitting president... People are a little reluctant to show it. Uh, the uh, Cinemark and Regal theater chains here in the U.S. decided we're not going to show it because it's a little too problematic for us.
0: Right. And outside of the U.S. there are problems as well. Uh, in Japan, it was dubbed what Bush assassinated. Yeah. And then the um,
1: I I had I had notes here. Um, <laughs> this is
0: pro- this is fully work as you can actually hear the pages turn.
1: Uh, the. The. Aaron iron eIrin is like the administration commission of the motion picture code of ethics and that's like the Japan's MPAA I'm guessing okay they said that they didn't want it so basically if you were if you were like a theater chain associated with that um, commission you couldn't show things that they deemed not good oh that's interesting so theoretically independent chains or independent theaters had shown it but there's no real documentation of it.
0: Okay, and also, it's worth noting that it couldn't get any airplay on television. They really struggled with that. Except in the UK. Except in the UK. And a lot of networks, such as NBC, for example, really didn't show any interest in uh, airing commercials for it, even. So, I guess the first thing I would like to talk about, before we get into the film, is is it is it that bad? To show a fake documentary of assassinating a sitting president?
1: I mean, I can understand the reluctance, but to make a judgment like that, you really need to watch the film
0: itself. Do you think they did? No. Clinton didn't. Oh, yeah. Hillary Clinton. <laughs> the hill dog.
1: A, she made a statement about the film. Yeah, yeah said yeah, it was despicable. She talked to like um, the Journal News of Rockland, Westchester, and Putnam. Wow, really? And that was where her statement was logged.
0: Oh, okay. This was before the Hill Dog was running for president. She was a Uh, junior senator at the time.
1: Like, 06, so mm, wrapping up there, I think.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right.
1: Maybe even later than that. Didn't really give a date. Didn't really look.
0: Wow. Again, quality (laughs) audio journalism. Uh, But yeah, she was was very against it. Uh, More so... The Bush administration, while not making official comment on the film, did say that it did not deserve a response, uh, a White House spokesperson at the time, and also an array of film critics seemed to find it very distasteful, uh, what, which is what I gleaned from reading through several reviews from the time.
1: There were some reviews that said it was distasteful, other reviewers saying it was very interesting and fascinating, and I think that really depends on how well they watched it, if they watched it at all.
0: So one of the things I pose to you as a question at the top of this program is whether or not it's actually that inflammatory to make a documentary that poses the question of killing a sitting president or someone who is of such cultural significance that it would be relevant in a massive context if they were abruptly assassinated or the like. Uh, do you think it's that inflammatory? Do you think it's that much of an issue I mean, the whole issue or just the movie itself? Both. I mean, if, if we were to make a documentary right now, or perhaps maybe a year ago, of President Obama being assassinated, like a fictional account of him, or a year from now, President Trump, is that is that inflammatory to the extent that Cinemark and Regal should be cutting you out of theaters? Or is it the way you do it, maybe? Well, I mean, I would ideally like to say it's the way you do
1: it. But unfortunately, I don't think they're going to watch it if it's like that. I think they're just going to judge it as is. So I would say there's no problem with it. I would think you could do pretty much any situation. Like, what if, like, Obama was, like, locked to a toilet for two hours?
0: (laughs) I think people would watch that, too. I'd watch that. I'd I'd watch it even more so if he was locked in the... It's such a weird, first of all, it's such a weird hypothetical. But I'm there's, go-
1: there's some movie that's like in the back of my mind, though, but there's like a scene where a guy is like on the toilet and he can't get off for some reason. I don't know if that's like training day or something like Are that. Are you
0: thinking of Lethal Weapon 2? Maybe. Where Danny Glover has the bomb underneath the toilet and he can't get off for like a day and a half? That might be it. And Mel Gibson has to like jump him in into a bathtub while naked? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've never actually seen The Little Up in 2, so I guess I saw that scene somewhere on TV.
0: Well, in any case, <laughs> first of all, I would totally watch a film that is purely just Obama locked in the bathroom while Michelle and Biden just <laughs> wander around the residency trying to find the key. We're going to get you out of there soon, Barack. And Biden's like slipping like like slices of ham underneath the door. And Barack's like, "No, no, Biden. It's okay. I've only been here 2 hours." And Biden's like, Shh, "You need to eat. Also, can you sign this, please?" Oh, <laughs> uh, I uh, uh but we digress. I think it's the way you handle it, right? Because I think if this was a film that advocated the assassinating of a sitting president. That'd be way different. That'd be a whole other whole other can of worms. Yeah. But this is not. What this film explores and does so in a very fascinating sense is Bush goes to a a public speaking event in Chicago at the uh the Sheridan, and when he reaches Chicago he is met with this incredible protest. Tens about 10,000 people in Chicago, all with anti-Bush banners and effigies that they're burning in the streets. They're burning flags and they're pushing over the police lines, Uh, really protesting that's entering a very dicey area. And Bush's motorcade continues and continues. And eventually he gets to the Sheridan, goes and gives his speech. And the cops are attempting to keep all of these protests outside of Uh, a a radius of the Sheridan.
1: Yeah, like a whole, was it a few blocks?
0: It was a few blocks, and no one could be within those blocks within 20 minutes of President Bush leaving the Sheridan. Right. And what happens is he leaves the Sheridan, and he has a, he walks the the line, the rope, the rope line. Yeah, he's like the crowd shaking
1: hands and whatnot.
0: Right, right. And, and And the fictional FBI guy is saying, do not do this. I just have a weird feeling about this line, and uh, and there's a lot of protesters in the city right now. There's a lot of people that do not like you. Mm-hmm. Just don't walk the line. But then fictional book Bush is like, I had a great night tonight. Everybody really loved my performance or my, my gig or whatever. I talked about the economy. Uh, I'm going to give this rope line. And he gives the rope line. And, of course, uh, he gets shot uh, by a sniper and is pronounced dead at the hospital.
1: Can we just say, like, this is almost, like, aside from the fact that it's Chicago and it's Bush – This is just recreating the um, Reagan assassination attempt.
0: Absolutely. And that's something that we've talked about a bit in pre-show is that there are many allusions to the Reagan assassination. For example, in the hospital, uh, one of the medical examiners comes out and it doesn't look at all like a hospital. That's what happens when you're on a $2 million budget. It looks like they're literally in the back of the Sheridan. And, uh, And he's like, he's a... What does he say? He's a strong man. He's with a strong heart. A strong heart for his age. Yeah, he'll he'll pull through. Basically, he'll right, be fine. right. He has a strong heart for his age, which is what they said about Reagan. And uh, and in addition to that, uh, toward the end of the film, and we'll get to this a little bit later, when they spliced together their version of Bush's funeral, they used uh, Cheney's eulogy for for Reagan. I'm gonna they used a lot of like the Reagan funeral footage too. Yes, they did. They had to. And I actually thought that was really fantastic because I've never seen Reagan's funeral or the inside of it anyway. I mean, I've seen the funeral procession, but I've never seen the inside of the room. So I thought that was pretty brilliant of them to utilize that. And that almost moves into, I think, the first natural talking point of this outside of why it's controversial and whether or not it should have been made, which is how well it's made in regard to using archival footage and mixing that with, with computer generated stuff. And actors to create uh, an atmosphere that actually feels real. And I was telling you in the in the pre-show that the first half hour of this movie was really stressful for me. Like, really, really stressful. Because I felt like I knew he was going to get shot. I knew it was going to happen. But I did not know when. Well, yeah, because
1: they, they start off, like, after. Like, the beginning interviews. And then they kind of, like, go back and, like... This is how it all started, basically.
0: Right. But there's also a couple different points in the first half hour where he could get shot. For example, when a guy pushes past the police barricade and touches his car. In the and, motorcade, yeah. In the motorcade. And, you, and and I thought that was it. I thought the guy was going to open the door and shoot him. And that didn't happen. And then you see another guy walk up in the line, on the rope line, an, a, 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 an environmentalist wacko. And the police see him. The FBI see him and they get all freaked out and they push him out. And I thought he was going to kill him, but then no, it ended up being a sniper, uh, you know, up in a building across from the Sheridan. And I thought all of that was just really, really well done. Um, I didn't know when it was coming. I was really discomforted by it and then it just hits and they did it so well. I really laud them for that. What do you think? I think that was
1: probably the, like the most effective part. I guess that's the part you also had to get right. Right, making you believe that Bush got shot.
0: Of course, yeah. So,
1: for me, that because they focus on that, that turned out all right. But I think, aside from the archival footage, some of the rest of the film, you can tell it was two million dollars.
0: Yeah, we and were talking, for example, about the funeral seems very empty at times. The funeral seems empty. The protests in Chicago seem
1: empty. yes yeah they they kind of like use like closer up shots to hide the fact there are like no people behind like two or three lines of people you know it's like right sparse but close to kind of mask it
0: do you think the protest over on uh the protest they showed a protest it was over on LaSalle and clark over where they have that big you know red statue i forget the name of it it's right outside the post office and they had a bunch of people in that crowd like a lot and I almost thought that those were not actors. I actually thought that circa two thousand six there might very well have been an anti Bush demonstration. There might there. have been. And they might have just taken that opportunity to to get a permit and, and throw some cameras on it. But not for all of it. Not for all of it, no. But uh I think I, I think that, that could have very yeah. well been real. That probably could have been.
1: I think I think the two million dollars helps that it was all shot in Chicago and that really is helpful. Because it's not like, oh, we went to like LA to finish and you faked it no sure. this is actually chicago
0: there's one thing funny about that i wanted to throw out there was uh <laughs> when they detain the man that they believe killed the president they keep showing fo- footage of the prison that he's in and they show the pr- the, the prison that's right over there on again i it's, uh, i think it's uh it's over on clark and
1: in the south loop right
0: yeah in the south loop i know we're just talking like a bunch of chicagoans right now trying to figure out street addresses but my point is that it's that big it's that big uh, triangle yeah yeah uh, prison and for those not familiar just google like chicago triangle prison because it's a giant triangle probably goes up 20 stories and uh, it's flat on all three sides so Mm -hmm. it really does look like a triangle and the yard at the very very top is literally on the roof so if you go out there in the evenings you can very often see the inmates you know kind of peeping over the side and they kept showing footage of that and what i found really funny about that just as someone who lives in chicago is that that is not where they put that guy that's a minimum security prison uh comparatively the most prisons it's very nice uh (laughs) it's where all your white collar criminals in chicago go interestingly
1: like it's Funny how there are certain things about this film that are feel very movie like and that, that wouldn't really happen. But it again, but it's still a lot of it's still realistic. Right. And it's almost strange that there are these like exceptions to that rule.
0: Yeah, and that's something you would never know unless you lived in Chicago. But you were telling me a pre show about the gun thing. Wanna talk about that? Yeah, the gun thing. So there's a there they have a uh, they have a guy in the film who is uh being interviewed as if he was one of the forensic agents that was analyzing the forensic evidence of the shooter, or the alleged shooter at the time. And he starts talking about the gun that they found, because what happens is in this building across the street, this man drops a gun down a trash chute or something like that, and that's where they find it. And it's funny, anecdotally, that's an airsoft gun. They didn't even film with a real gun.
1: I guess they really Um, couldn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy keeps saying... It's really hard to get fingerprints on a gun. Like, no, it's not.
1: Uh, he's like, like but I think they're positing it as like, oh, Hollywood makes you believe it's easy, but it's not.
0: Right. and I'm like, it's actually not. Like, I spent the last six weeks working on a case here and, um, you know, I'm an I'm a aspiring journalist here in the city of Chicago. And the story I've been writing for the last six weeks has been based primarily around fingerprints on a gun. Uh, fingerprints on a gun are, are very common. And I just I found that so weird that that is the angle they decided to approach because for me as someone who has been steeped in this for the last six weeks, that medical fake medical examiner kind of lost some credibility in that regard for me. And you can always like
1: explain it away as though that's his opinion, but that seems so weird to put it in either way.
0: It was so weird and also it was something that like it was such a big deal because it, the whole point of them incriminating the guy that they incriminate. Was that there's really dicey evidence on him and that the evidence is not at all, not at all as conclusive as it is supposed to be. And uh, I'm trying to find right now their name to go back to the prison thing that I thought was really funny in the film. They say he's in Statesville Correctional Center. That's what they say in the film. And that's like way out south. Yeah, that's down in Crest Hill. And while they're saying it's Statesville Correctional Center, they're showing the Triangle Building, <laughs> which is a different prison. But uh, I digress. Um, yeah, the whole incriminating evidence or lack thereof on the person that they incriminate for killing the president is this is this uh, the, you know this gun. And why don't we talk a little bit about who they believe killed the president? Why don't you give us? Some lowdown on that.
1: Well, basically, they kind of go the easy route, and they suspect a Muslim man who happened to be in the area at the time. Why was he there again? I don't exactly remember. The
0: Muslim man? Yeah. I thought he was there because he was protesting. That might have been it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting confused with the other guy a little bit. Perhaps.
1: But like he was there. I guess he was protesting. And then they thought, oh... Maybe he did it because like he broke out of the uh, the
0: like the, the police barrier, yeah, right,
1: and he went off, and then around the time the shooting happened, he kind of was like shown on camera, it was like escaping from a building,
0: right right, and right thought, oh, so that's the guy. And they had several guys if they believe they caught. For example, there's another guy that went past the police barricade with a with – a, and the film actually wants you to believe he's a shooter because he's got a big thing slung across his back that looks like it was, it's a rifle. Mm-hmm. But actually, this guy has a big giant banner that says, uh, this is what the Patriot Act feels like and has a gun held to Bush's head, which is really bad imagery to have the day he gets <laughs> shot. Um, but then the film – you know, kind of poses that guy as a potential shooter. And he turns out to not be the shooter, of course. But the interesting thing about the Muslim man is that
1: once they start looking into him, they give him kind of like a ambiguous backstory about how how he was in Pakistan in like 2001 or so. And he kind of like happened upon like the Al-Qaeda training camps, right? And, they, right. and he was like, they're like, you got to do this. And he kind of like faked his way out
0: right right because another important element of this of, of course is his wife right who is in the film as well she's like the main interview i would say i'm not she's only used once or twice or thrice perhaps but she's most certainly one of the most pivotal ones and she opens yeah. up the film yeah and closes the film she's very pivotal i guess is the right way to say that yeah, and she uh and she had a couple quotes that were really powerful, one of which for me was, um, you know, she starts talking about the moment she hears that the president's been shot, and she says, please don't let it be a Muslim, and uh, that's something you hear a lot today. Yeah, it's very topical in that point. Very much so. I imagine – in fact, I don't have to imagine because I've talked to Muslims like this, and I've read many columns by Muslims like this who – in today's day and age, especially in the U.S. and with the political climate uh, post-Trump election, there is an atmosphere where you know a bomb goes off, someone gets shot, and every Muslim on the block all of a sudden is like, "Don't let it be a Muslim. Do not let it further this stereotype that that you know we are X, Y, or Z." Uh, and that this film does a really good job of capturing that that frustration. Yeah, it captures the frustration. It also captures like the
1: opposite of where the white people are kind of gunning for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Talk to the people
1: in the, who were working for the government, and they're kind of like, "Well, he was acting like you know there was like no remorse. So he was very like blank face and all this stuff." Right. He's like he was like denying certain things that we knew, you know, like about the the Pakistan trip. You know, right. Like they asked him about it, and then they like they they showed evidence. He's like, "Oh, that trip."
0: Yeah, probably didn't help him much.
1: No. <laughs> um, but, they, they, but, they, but they posit that as like, this is evidence of him lying, when it probably was like, he kind of either willingly forgot or like... Was scared.
0: That too. Uh, and, and, and obviously, at the end of the film, this man, he's never exonerated. In fact, it goes on to say that he is, he is the jury... Uh, finds him guilty at the end of the film and sentences him to the death penalty. But... But he remains on death row for a year.
1: Because after that, after he gets convicted, the actual shooter comes forward. Right. And it's a totally different angle that was not really brought up at all because it wasn't considered important until they figured it was.
0: Right. And to talk briefly about that, that was a... Uh, a man whose son had been killed in uh in Iraq uh right or Afghanistan I think it was Iraq okay it was one of the middle eastern conflicts of the early 2000s and he felt that bush had personally killed his son basically is how he felt yes. that he had sent his son to die and uh and this was a guy that had uh, a wife and, an, and another son yes That son was also a veteran, I believe. Yes, and he was kind of the one who, after the shooting, knew that his dad did it. And started to come forward with evidence about his dad.
1: But he was kind of cast as, like, a conspiracy theorist for a good while because, well, it's his other guy. You have all this evidence, but they really didn't.
0: Right, right. And this guy, you know, of course, they end up finding out that this father actually did it, and he killed himself several days after the shooting. So there's no one to actually condemn for it, um or at least punish for it, and that brings in this really weird story arc with like the veteran like mourning the loss of his father and his brother, and like there's this really stupid scene. I'm sorry, but like he goes he goes <laughs> he goes to the to the graveyard and you you can't really tell if he's at his dad's gravestone or his brother's gravestone a grave, and he just starts like kind of like this really like forced like crying followed by like like touching and like petting the gravestone and then there's like this voiceover where he's like i went to the grave it was like come on this is so melodramatic this has turned into a hallmark movie and that's actually how i felt about a couple of the fictional performances that guy yeah. included the the, the, the the son of the shooter is so cliche to me When he starts, to like at one point, he's literally like, I was feeling my PTSD that day. (laughs) And it was just so cliche. I don't think that's how you talk about that. No, it's not. And and then there's also, for me, I'd love to hear what fictional characters worked and didn't work for you. But one that just didn't vibe with me, nothing she said felt genuine or felt like it could be real, was the... Advisor and speechwriter to President Bush. She felt so fake.
1: Oh, the, the advisor lady was played by um, Becky Ann Baker. And this is important because I didn't know any of the actors in this thing. But Becky Ann Baker apparently is the most famous. She was the mom in Freaks and Geeks. And she plays Loreen Harvoff and Girls. So she's around. Okay, right. She has roles. So like for people who have seen her in these things, that probably kind of takes them right out of it
0: yeah and I had not seen her before, but her her I don't necessarily think it was her acting. I thought she her her dialogue felt very contrived.
1: I think maybe I, got, I always kind of like have this thing where I excuse like the world of it for certain reasons. like I'll say like, oh, it's that way because that's her personality. She's like playing it up. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, why did she have to?
0: Yeah, and, and to, to specify what I mean by that. Like, for example, when she starts recounting about how she was in the motorcade with Bush. when Sitting people in the are, car with him. Right. And she's like, I was sitting in the car with President Bush, and I thought he'd be scared with all these things happening around him. But he turned to me, the calmest man I'd ever seen, and said, you know, Becky, I really wish that uh I really want them to protest, but I wish they would just do it peacefully. <laughs> like, come on.
1: Come Agent on. He's a literal saint, but then she also worked on a staff, so she would.
0: Yeah, it was just like, it was so... Uh, and also, you know Bush would like not say that in that situation either. That doesn't jive uh, at all with what W did uh, in movie W. <laughs> right. And, uh, and and of course, this is fascinating. I think in our feed, when people listen to our show, they're first going to get W. Uh, w, rather. And then they're going to get this film, which is intentional on our behalf.
1: Well, yeah, because they're so few movies about george w bush so it's kind of like well life and death
0: exactly interesting
1: like dichotomy contrast
0: right and so i'd like to ask you what fictional characters
1: worked for you and which didn't probably the one that didn't work for me the most was the medical examiner guy
0: yeah
1: who who is the also the other famous guy james urbaniak who is um the producer gary on the comedy central show review Mhm. So he's like the other famous guy.
0: And this is not the not necessarily the medical examiner, this is a forensic guy. Yeah, forensics
1: guy. like yeah.
0: The guy the guy who says that fingerprints on guns don't yeah, exist. Yeah, a partial print dude. Yeah. And the way he
1: was talking, it was very casual. Like almost like it was the office
0: or something like that. <laughs> like, like the candid camera office interview, right?
1: Yeah, like it didn't it wasn't in line exactly with like a very serious attempt or a movie about it, an assassination. Which I think, because I did some research, and apparently they didn't really tell most of the actors what they were shooting. Right. So, they kind of just had them read the script, and that was about all they knew. So, I think something like that really affects performances, like uh, James gave, where he might not have known exactly all what the movie was about. So, his response
0: was probably more light than they would have wanted. So is that a creative? What is the creative direction for doing that? Is it to try to elicit something that's more genuine? I think it's
1: also because if people knew like that it was about the assassination of George W. Bush, they might be freaked out and not want to do it.
0: Maybe it yeah, might also be a
1: problem for like getting permits too.
0: At the same time, don't you feel? I don't know much about you know labor laws, <laughs> not even not even necessarily labor laws, but I if I was a if i was you know vehemently against this film and then i found out that something i shot was used in it i might not be too thrilled
1: yeah that's also the risky run
0: but but maybe these people you know sign something that's you know uh i'm just signing off full rights to whatever we're filming here we don't know well i mean
1: they're not that famous where it's like brad pitt doing it it
0: matters (laughs) yeah and also i mean one of the things that that one of the reasons that there is scarcity about this film is because, again, it went under the radar. It came out; it had a limited budget. It came out to very little fanfare because anyone who knew about it was mostly condemning it. I mean, um, outside
1: of film festivals, it appeared on like TV in the UK, and that was about it for like a good year.
0: Right, and of course, we finally found it on DVD, and of course, and you can rent it. Surprisingly, I was able to get it on Amazon, and. I think one of the most interesting things about this film, are you going and finding the DVD?
1: I am. I just want to see if there's anything interesting on the box. It's a red
0: DVD case.
1: Yeah. I think all the DVD cases are red for this movie, which is fascinating.
0: Red with the blood of a fallen president.
1: Yeah. There are a bunch of like quotes from a bunch of different um, outlets and uh, review people.
0: Is it like where it says spectacular, except the full quote was, it's spectacular how god awful this film is? No, they're actual sentences. <laughs> okay, that's good.
1: Like Rex Reed of the New York Observer says, this is a film without a political agenda that everyone should see.
0: Okay, so let's go off what Rex said there, because that's actually very valid. This film, I would argue, does not have a political... Mm, I would argue it doesn't have an anti-Bush agenda. Can you describe what you mean? So, at no point in this film... Does the film take an anti-Bush stance? Uh, the people within the film, particularly the protesters, the man who shoots Bush, they have opinions on George Bush. But the film does not make an overarching commentary on him. So much to the fact that I actually uh, found their portrayal of George W. Bush to be quite complimentary. And I actually found that that the way they did you know, pose him in this film was in a very good light.
1: Oh, definitely. I think... But I also think part of that has to do with the fact that if that were to happen, if he were to actually have been shot, that is totally what would have happened. He would have been immediately like raised like 20 approval points. Yeah. And then people would be coming out of the woodwork to talk about how great he was. Sure. that's kind of what happens when, you know, that person dies and then, you know, the controversy kind of goes away. It's like with Michael Jackson. People forgot about his controversies and everyone's like, I love Michael Jackson. Right. even though he everyone made fun of him for several years before he died
0: sure and i and i think with the with this film in particular i think people heard like oh it's a film about oh, it's a fictional film about bush being killed and they just uh, people like like hillary just jumped to the conclusion that this is defamatory this is inflammatory this yeah. is every sort of tory and uh except maybe the british tory and um <laughs> And this is uh, something that should not exist when I think in reality it is, a, is, is pretty eloquent in its analysis of, of Bush and the kind of aftermath that would happen in, if someone like that got killed. And it really got me thinking because if you think about it, we have not had a presidential assassination since 1963. And no attempts since the 80s. And no attempts since the 80s.
1: So, well, no attempts that actually like did anything. That we know about. I
0: mean, dun, the, dun. that shoe incident, that's about it. The shoe incident with Bush, that's true. That was deadly. Uh, but it got me thinking, uh, what would a world be like with a president being killed in a contemporary context? And I think this film does a decent job at showing you what that might be like. Yeah, I think so too. And it's kind of scary. Like, as someone who is... I have opinions on George Bush, <laughs> um, <laughs> as and do, as do I, and and I have opinions about people like Donald Trump and and other and other you know predominant political powers of our day. But I'd never want to see any of them killed.
1: That's a little too far, I think, to wish death upon them.
0: Right, and I think what this did for me is because I, there's been a lot of talk, like, what if what if someone tries to kill Trump, and I and I. I think that's overblown but at the same time i understand where it's coming from i would not want to see the guy killed no and i would be very sad to see him get killed because you don't want to kill an american president
1: you never want to do that that's awful
0: right and this film kind of put that weird lump in my throat where i was just like wow like this is like what happens when you know like a contemporary president dies uh, abruptly and it it was a scary insight into what, like, what if this was to ever happen again? And I think that with Trump, Trump is the most divisive president since Bush. Because, mm. oh, I mean, Obama has his.
1: He has his detractors. He has it's his not, critics. It is not like it is with Trump or Bush.
0: But certainly not. To, you know, I mean, I mean, Bush had the had the everything from, you know, I mean, the Middle Eastern conflict to Katrina. There was a lot of things to not like Bush about. And the whole even electoral college thing, right? Which is starting up again, which is starting up again, right? <laughs> that that'll happen when the when a party that wins a popular vote loses two elections in sixteen years, uh, and with Trump, I think Trump is a. I don't. I don't think Trump is going to be a divisive president necessarily. And we've talked about this on our political essay, and we've talked about this personally. I think. Trump will have to fall in line with a lot of the people around him. And he's already done that to a very large degree. A lot of the, a lot of the divisive things that Trump has campaigned on everything from, uh, we're building the wall to, uh, I'm going to, you know, hire a a special prosecutor to, to prosecute Hillary Clinton, uh, to working at the port, 11 million illegal immigrants, all that he's backed down on all of it. In fact, he's even backed down on parts of Obamacare and, I think that he is not going to be as divisive of a president as he was a candidate, but all right, I just got to hop in here. Brett Stewart in the editing room eight months after I said that eh, wasn't necessarily true. Still pretty divisive, but moving on that rhetoric, I think in our lifetime is the most elicits, the most aggression and frustration and anger and violence that you or I have seen. Oh, for sure. And I could see someone trying to shoot him for that. I really, honestly could. And I, and I, and I don't think it's that outlandish
1: to say that. I mean, when Obama was first elected, I thought the same thing about him. I thought somebody would try it because he was the first black president. Sure, sure. So I, I am glad that never happened. But like, I totally expected it to. It's like, right. So, so it's, I kind of feel like in that same scenario again, where I don't want it to happen, but it's like, what if it did?
0: Yeah. And I and I hope that I hope there is better security around around real presidents than there were around fictional President Bush at this time. Yeah. Uh, but it's a fascinating concept, you know, because we again, there there is not there wasn't worldwide 24 seven news cycles in 1963 or even in the 80s well, than there are now not to the degree of now no, no. where we're interconnected to the nth degree that's what I'm talking about I mean in the eighties if, if someone if if something drastic happened in the eighties you might not find about it you might not find out about it till you pick up the newspaper or turn on the television whereas nowadays you literally go on you know your phone and you got alerts blowing up you have Twitter Facebook Instagram reddit everything it's very true and I can't imagine something like this happening with a contemporary president i mean and i even think about this in in regard to tragedy can you imagine if a 9-11 happened today
1: i I can't like i can't can you imagine imagine,
0: like people inside of the towers tweeting imagine that well that kind of happened with the pulse nightclub a little bit that's true. The, I mean, but I mean, you're right, and I don't want to downplay the Pulse nightclub of, 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 of any degree because those texts are horrifying, especially the one to his mom, yeah, uh, with the guy in the bathroom. But I, but I, I just think in my mind, and we're going down a dark path here, and I understand that listeners will I mean, hop out of it soon.
1: I mean, the 911 texts exist. There was texting that they you do, read but
0: them. I, I'm just imagining like, in, if this was to happen nowadays in a big skyscraper, people would be texting. People would be tweeting. Oh, there would be people would be periscoping the plane yeah. coming at coming at the thing. They'd be like live streaming, trying to escape. Right, and and that is so deeply horrifying to me to think that we are so interconnected to a fault that 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 we that we would see tragedy in that way uh, and be able to broadcast it and witness it and be involved in it in that way is is, is frightening to a massive degree to me. I imagine if a president was killed, it'd be the same. Most likely, yes. Probably even worse. Yeah. And it just, it's, it boggles the mind. And I think, and I and I have to laud this film for that because it brings up that conversation of the relevance of a president in the time in which they are president and also what would happen if they were killed. Uh, and this film One thing it did very well for the most part was it used that archival footage to really actually use Bush from the moment he steps off the plane to the moment he gives a speech to the moment he actually walks out and gets shot, uh, which they augmented with CGI. I mean, it's worth noting that he actually is
1: in the film. It's not like he's. Yeah. And they kind of talk around it.
0: To to when CGI, uh, not CGI, (laughs) to when uh, (laughs) Cheney, when CGI (laughs) Cheney, no, robotic CGI Cheney, basically just (laughs) Cheney. To when Cheney literally gives his eulogy, and they give you the context of the Reagan eulogy that Cheney gave, but then augment it with uh, they cut in and splice in Bush. And it works. It feels so real. I really had to look it up. I ha- I was like, how the hell did they get this footage? It's kind of
1: like when they did it for Forrest Gump. And they had Forrest Gump with John Lennon, Forrest Gump doing all these things.
0: That's a good point. I forgot about that.
1: And then it's like, you see the one shot of like, he's giving the speech and you see everybody and you kind of see the one speechwriter lady in the corner.
0: Right, they photoshopped all of these um these these fake actors into real situations with the president,
1: and they, it looks kind of fakey, a little bit,
0: a little fake, yeah. But
1: they do it in a way where it's like, okay, she would be in that corner. Like, it's not an ideal spot, probably to photoshop it, but like it makes sense. So they kind sure of balance that sure sensibility with like. Two million dollar budget,
0: <laughs> right? And obviously, that budget shows when they're giving you know fake press briefings inside of a Marriott uh, instead of the White House press corps, and uh, <laughs> and and when and I was they, they were in Chicago, so they couldn't get back in time, right? And and of course, we were we were talking in pre-show uh, during his funeral and there's only like 20 people at the procession <laughs> and i find it so funny because they just have one tiny photo of bush like in a walgreens frame uh and it's just like the wikipedia photo of him his portrait uh, his portrait uh just around a little wreath that looks like it's from christmas uh and it just zooms really close in on it and then after it zooms really close in on it it pans to like one of the horses from the procession and then it starts zooming in on the horse and it stays on the horse for like a good 15 odd seconds I mean, and the I, horse was affected too and I, I was trying to think in my mind wh- is there something in this horse shot they want me to see like and i don't think there was i think they just needed to fill those seconds because they didn't they didn't have enough b-roll i this fake that, procession i'm amazed that was
1: shot anyway
0: like what was the justification for shooting it i don't know like we need and to also, keep going and also did they shoot the horse or was i watching stock footage of a horse i don't know <laughs> Was it archival NBC footage of a horse? (coughs) Or was that like a shot of the Reagan funeral? Or was it a shot of the Reagan funeral? In which case, why didn't you use the massive crowds instead of like 20 people standing around a a bush thing in a Walgreens frame? Uh, So there are problems with this, obviously, largely due to the budget. But I think I think it is fair to say that it's not as defamatory of a film as People like Clinton and the Bush administration tried to make it out to be when it came out. I really don't think so. And if anything, it provokes an, a provocative, very compelling discussion. What's interesting to me is that I looked a little bit about Gabriel Range. Who is the director?
1: And he's a he's a British man. He's from the UK. So this is kind of like not his territory. Which is, okay. But he also kind of has this history of making like more politically charged films, which is interesting okay. because- what i'm gathering this is probably his most neutral non like not aggressively pushing it film
0: which is funny because it's literally about a president being killed like he, but, yeah uh, go he on. made
1: a film uh, a few years after this called i am slave about oh, a shit. about a woman in africa who was kidnapped and you know is in the slate and like the modern slave trade in london this is fictional
0: yes Oh, wow. Okay. So it's
1: very aggressively pushing, like, highlighting the sex trafficking and the sure. slave trafficking of, like, Europe and everything. Right. But it's really aggressively about that. Hmm. It's like, this is not aggressively about, like, I mean, it is about Bush being assassinated, but it's not, like,
0: it's agenda. not making a statement on right. Bush, because one thing I thought going into this was that it was going to be a film making an agenda, an anti-Bush agenda, particularly about, about the war. Uh, and it re- never really does that. Again, there are people in the film who do that, but but it's never actually a statement made by the film.
1: Yeah, and, like, and after that, he made a, doc- a real documentary this time in 2012 called Little Matador, which is about children growing up to be bullfighters. And training, like, to kill bulls and stuff. Really?
0: Yeah, so, like, they're actually, like, really doing this. Wow, this is a guy. He's got an interesting filmography. I want to read a quote from him. Yeah. uh, Where he had been quoted, um, the purpose of the film was not to imagine how the world stage would reset with an assassination of George Bush. So what he's saying is that it's not meant to be overly political about what would happen within the political spectrum. This is from the Washington Post. Right. The intent of the film is really to use the assassination of President Bush as a dramatic device, using the future as an allegory to comment on the past. If people go to the cinema expecting to have some great moment of catharsis, watching the president being shot... I suspect they're in for a pretty big surprise. <laughs> I think that anyone who's expecting this to be a liberal wet dream is in for quite a shock. It was very important that the film was not a political rant. It was not just a condemnation uh, because I think uh, polemics are easy to dismiss. So, so yeah, what he's saying is this is not a, uh, a, le- a leftist wet dream. <laughs>
1: but it's so interesting to me because the rest of his filmography would suggest that it is. Right, like he's highlighting these children trained to be bull killers and bullfighters, and this woman being, you know, trafficked, and all this stuff that a lot of like, quote unquote, socially conscious filmmakers try to make movies about.
0: To break down his statement here a little bit, when he says using the assassination of President Bush as a dramatic device to comment on the future, uh, using the future as an allegory to comment on the past, what do you think he means by that?
1: Like, I can't help but again think of the Reagan assassination attempt. Like he was trying to talk about that, but like
0: right, right, make Using, it today. So we'll talk about it then. That's compelling. Yeah, that's 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 true. Because uh, again, there are a lot of allusions to the Reagan you know assassination and even uh, even assassinations prior. Um, like I, I kind of or the uh, Reagan attempted assassination. Reagan was not <laughs> assassinated.
1: I kind of think about um, of all movies, the Great Gatsby and how um, Boswellman
0: like. Okay, I was going to ask which great Gatsby, but we're going for Boz. Okay. The
1: one where he kind of introduces a modern soundtrack to recreate what it was like at that time with jazz and how those people felt about it and how it affected them. But, like, we don't feel that, but we feel that with modern music. Sure. So it's recreating the feel of the situation, not exactly the historical aspect. Which which leads me then to believe that this is not a movie at all about Bush
0: being assassinated, but Reagan. I could see that. What if Reagan actually died? I could really see that, which is, which, why did he just make a movie about Reagan being killed? But I don't know. Maybe <laughs> because that that would be a whole lot less aggressively received. One would think maybe, I mean, it's not a sitting president at the time. It's, you know, 30 years down the road. Right. But maybe he wanted a little bit of that. He wanted to, the controversy
1: a little bit to help the film.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's probably fair. And one thing I want to close out our discussion on as we start to, you know, come in on the hour here is the final closing credits of the film, which I think are very important, uh, make a couple points. Uh, first of all, the man who has, you know, been found to not be guilty of killing the president is still on death row. He has not been taken off death row after a year. And then, second, uh, the final closing credits of the film inform the viewer that President Cheney uh, has instituted what they call the USA Patriot Act three. Signed in the permanent law stating the following, it has granted investigators unprecedented powers of detention and surveillance and further expanding the powers of the executive branch.
1: I feel like that was almost the whole point. Like this is what would happen. But it's almost a footnote, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, it literally is a footnote. I mean, it's the final frame of the movie, and uh, yeah, you make a good point. This, this, you think that would be central to the discussion? Uh, one thing I find interesting is that this is pre pre WikiLeaks, this is pre NSA, uh, pre Prism, and it kind of happened. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just throwing that out there, like the uh, the the. Investigators granted unprecedented powers of detention. Maybe not detention, but most certainly surveillance. For sure. Uh, and do you, so do you think this film is making the argument that uh, that in the face of, and you can make this for the Patriot Act as a whole, in the face of tragedy, it's important to not lose your civil liberties something that looks like it's going to solve a problem in the short term i suppose that's a general statement you can make about it right because we see that with the patriot act you know immediately post 9-11 uh and it's kind of how the muslim man was arrested in this movie right and even historically historically we see that with 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 you know people like like hitler uh, the rise of Hitler throughout the 30s is most certainly a uh, a slow loss of civil liberties for the security, the short term security that Hitler made Germany feel in a time when Germany was down. Right and and I'm gonna go. I'm even gonna go nerdy here. I'm gonna say Chancellor Palpatine. You know he comes on in there in episode three and he says, "You grant me emergency powers in the Senate." uh and i will fix this galactic civil war that we are having and everyone so beat down on their luck with this galactic civil war says you know what palpatine that sounds like a great idea and that's why we have these new prequels because that's not what happened he did not give up or not prequels these new movies because he did not give up emergency powers
1: so what you're saying is those political scenes were necessary and in fact important
0: Actually, yes. Uh, to go on a little bit of a Star Wars <laughs> rabbit hole, I actually think the political scenes are some of the most interesting parts of the prequels, which almost everyone disagrees with me. I,
1: I agree with you on that. Like, I think it's interesting hearing how they talk about like galactic problems.
0: Yeah, I think so too. But again, I think that that is a that is a fictionalized account of what happens when something tragic happens or something you know uh, bombastically you know huge happens. And everyone gets freaked out, and we flock to whoever says they're going to protect us. I alone can fix this. Right, right. There is a Trump analogy here. There's most certainly a Trump analogy here, and we flock to whoever is going to fix us. And that is the reason that you know uh, critics of Trump have, have likened him to Hitler. I think people get bogged down in that comparison because It's very easy.
1: It's too. It's too easy.
0: And well and also like when people say Trump is Hitler, uh, what people hear is like Trump is a is a, um, is you know pushing people in the ovens. And that's not what those critics mean. What they mean is that the demagogue rise of power within a within a divided nation can create someone uh, who can benefit from that from, from questionable rhetoric. It's like I
1: was saying in pre-show and kind of what applies to this movie. It's all about the presentation and the intent of what's what you're doing. Exactly. You can't just say, oh, that's a comparison to Hitler. Oh, it's just a movie about killing Bush that's like glorifying it. It is more than that. It is like, you have to look at what it specifically is talking about.
0: Sure, you can't just say Trump is Hitler. You have to say Trump, and this is just me, you know, I am echoing what these critics say, not necessarily what I believe. The rise of Hitler in the 30s uh, in a divided Germany could draw a parallel to the rise of Trumpism and. Uh, that 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 conservative populism that rose Trump the power this year, uh, in terms of the sentiments and the type of rhetoric he was using to make people feel good about themselves when they did not feel good about themselves. And I think that at the end of this film, this film shows that, yeah, now that a president's been killed, people are feeling that way. And they grant President Cheney emergency powers. Uh, which furthers my belief that Cheney is Darth Vader, but that's a whole other <laughs> argument not Palpatine? I, I think he's Darth Vader, I mean because he, he's, he's 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 more man than machine at this he's more machine than man at this point. Well, it doesn't really matter now. What do you mean now? It's ten years down the road he's hot in power <laughs> uh i in real life i Cheney is like legitimately more machine than man with that crazy artificial heart inside of him, oh like a pacemaker. No.
1: it's more than just a pacemaker. It's like an actual thing.
0: Yeah. He has like a fake heart. Oh. Yeah. He has like a robotic heart. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I, again, we're going in a weird Star Wars tangent, but, (laughs) but I think that's the commentary this film makes is that if a president was killed today, if, if, if Trump was killed, or in, right now, Obama. If Obama was killed and we are in a national state of despair, would we grant the executive office, uh, moving in, in, in which case Trump, uh, well, emergency powers to fix it?
1: Here's the question, though. If it's Obama, would we, give, would we grant it to Biden and Trump?
0: That's a really good question. You would think, like, at this point, it would be Trump because Biden's out the door in a month.
1: But technically still vice president.
0: But technically still vice president. Technically still sworn in the president at that point. And Trump isn't. Oh, we're
1: getting into such a weird, such a weird place with this. It's interesting to note, though, back in the world of Death of a President, that this movie and Star Wars uh, Episode 3 came out about a year apart, so they're... Kind of were probably made around the same. They're intricately
0: time, intertwined.
1: Talking about similar things, <laughs> the same
0: things,
1: which means that this is probably allegories for Bush. But ten years down the road, that seems kind of like comical.
0: Wait, you're saying Star Wars
1: is an allegory for Bush? I mean, a little bit. I mean, if it was made, <laughs> if it was made like in the Bush presidency, don't you think it's a little bit of like a reflection of what's going on in the time? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 mean, we all know that the original. I mean, yes, it's all based kind on of like Hitler and Nazis. And right. All the original
0: trilogy is all World War Two, you know, illusions. Uh, but I don't know about the prequels being a. Oh, man. You... Oh, man. You know what? Silver screens and uh, silver screens and politics at <laughs> Gmail dot com. Let us know if you think that the Star Wars prequels are an allegory for the Bush presidency. <laughs> Let us know.
1: I mean, I'm not saying that Palpatine is Bush, but I'm just saying, like, you know, emergency powers for Bush. How would that go?
0: I don't know. And 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 what these what these you know Patriot Act three alludes to at the end of the film is essentially emergency powers. You know, expanded executive branch privileges, along with with along with unprecedented surveillance and detainment, which of course was a hotbed. Issue during during Bush's presidency was uh, not as much surveillance, but most certainly detainment, especially with Gitmo. That was something that Obama campaigned very hard on in 2007 uh, and remained one of his largest campaign promises that he was never able to fulfill uh, despite literally coming out like every year and saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We're going to close it. It's happening this year, everybody. Uh, rolling the dice on it it's coming up snake eyes or ha- it's happening and it never ever happened and um first of all rolling the dice come up, snake eyes I, I think I think I think of really weird like uh, <laughs> colloquialisms that are entirely unto myself Uh <laughs> but yeah but that was something that 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 obama attempted to move away from it was almost like this like scary relic of the of the bush presidency was that we had all these guys in this in this scary you know cuban island prison and uh and now we're actually seeing that come around again with Trump, where Trump is saying yes to waterboarding. Uh, kill, kill their families. At one point, you know, Trump was advocating for the killing of families of of, of, of terrorists, uh, which is a war crime, but I digress. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, uh, that's one of those like I mentioned earlier, that's one of the many things Trump will uh, probably not be able to, you know
1: cash in on. But what if he doubles back if he changes his mind again?
0: He could do that. I mean, he's basically a Democrat, so (laughs) I mean you could argue right now, but six months from now, who knows? Six months from now he's ousting uh middens uh for Secretary of State and then putting in uh you know Colonel Sanders and uh He went for someone fictional, why? What? Why'd you go for someone fictional?
1: (laughs) He could've just said he could've he could like replace him again with Condoleezza Rice.
0: Alex Jones. He's the press secretary. Oh my gosh. Oh, I want to live in a world where Alex Jones is press secretary because there's nothing of major consequence that he can do in that role. And I think every White House press briefing would be pure gold. (laughs) Pure gold. It's globalism. (laughs) You, you there, Washington Post. You come here. You're living in a bubble. You're living in the new world order bunch of globalists you need to get your head out of your ass and join join the revolution join 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 and then he just like falls off the podium and gets back up takes a drink of water i'm sorry i I had a steak this morning the testosterone's running high
1: he tries to open a jar of pickles again
0: (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, silver screens politics at gmail.com. If you want to tell me how bad my Alex Jones or good my Alex Jones impersonation is. Uh, but yeah, as we start to wind down here, I think it is an interesting concept at the end of the film that they just address in a final slide and then never flesh out, which is in the death of a president of something dramatic like that is, would there be a transfer of power in, in the wake of fear? And I would argue to an extent we I think we've debunked that a little bit. Oh, a little bit. More than a little bit because you look at 9-11, which happened during the Bush presidency, and Bush was certainly not granted emergency powers of any sort. Uh, you know, stuff, he his invasion still had to be passed through Congress, mm-hmm. which people like Hillary Clinton voted for. True. So he was not, you know, alone. I mean, there were many people around him complicit with things that, he did that could be argued were reactionary for sure uh so you would think nowadays if a president was killed similarly there would be a level of 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 discourse amongst many people to determine what to do
1: i think that would be a little bit of an issue especially with this upcoming administration because i don't think they would know what to do i think that's gonna end the show <laughs> final thoughts? Can we do final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts. Why don't you go first? I just wanted to commend um the actress who plays the um wife of the muzzle man. Her name, I think I don't know if I'm gonna pronounce it right, but her name is Hend ayub That is H E N D A Y O U B. And this is her only like big role so far. She's been on like an episode here and there of like damages and homeland and Madame Secretary. But this is her only really big thing, and
0: I think she did a really great job. I thought she did wonderful, too. I actually thought that she was one of the most powerful, convincing performances in the film. For sure. I mean, they, they had that one quote
1: about she was saying like she was hoping the, like uh, she was saying if the killer had just stopped and thought, you know, with her with their hand on the gun, the finger on the trigger, if they just thought about it.
0: Uh, my final thoughts. I enjoyed this film more than I thought I would. Uh, it's surprisingly it's surprisingly respectful in its analysis of what would happen if a president was being killed. And I would argue it's very respectful to President Bush. I think it's worth watching as a, as a, just posing a question of what this would happen and what it would be like in a, you know, post tech boom era and the interconnectivity of what would happen if a president was killed and what would happen in the fall out of that poses some very interesting questions. And I think it's, I think it is naive and and a little absurd to make the argument that you can't pose these questions when the president is sitting in office, which is one of the big which is one of the big issues that, you know, chains like am like uh, Regal and Cinemark had was they felt it was defamatory to a president sitting. And I'm like, no, it's not defamatory. It's 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 a valid question about someone who is currently important. I don't think that we I I don't think we always need to be. Looking back 10, 15 years later to do our analyses, I think. No, I agree, yeah. Indeed. And that's something we saw with W, because W came out at the tail end of Bush's presidency. 2008. Right. So, uh, yeah, Can I, I think. I, sorry. Cause go ahead. You, no, go right I ahead. I'm going
1: to pose one more question for you. Sure. I know we kind of talked about how this movie kind of shows its budget a little bit and how yeah. it's a little rinky dink here and there. It's still really great on a lot of points, but some things could have been you know a little better. Do you think this movie would have benefited from a larger budget? Like and if so, like how much larger could it possibly have been?
0: Eh, I think some of the protests could have been a little bit bigger and more convincing. Uh, maybe some of the set pieces, like they weren't constantly recording in conference rooms in the Marriott. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I thought they did a solid job with what they had.
1: Like, do you think it would be like a five, ten million movie? It would have been. It would have been pretty perfect. Or.
0: Actually, what I would have preferred to see this as is give it the same budget, but put it on television instead of in, in a film setting and cut about 25 minutes from it. Because mm-hmm. my only big critique was with, with it was that by the last half hour, even though it's only a 90 minute film, it was losing me. Uh, as soon as it got into the whole subplot of, of like the troubled veteran, I was like, all right, guys, I'm kind of done with this. <laughs> so actually, surprisingly, I would actually like to see this more in the setting of a of a showtime movie or something like, like that. Like an hour long thing. Yeah, something on HBO or Showtime. All
1: right. I mean, I think it would have been better maybe just to get a, like a couple more million. Like just to get mm-hmm. some of those maybe extra permits, extra protesters. But I think it's impressive what they did for 2 million. I think so. Yeah. Like in a pre-Kickstarter age, too.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh so yeah, I think this gets uh I think this gets 2 Silver screens in politics, thumbs up in regard to maybe not not necessarily like whether or not it's an amazing film, but certainly uh, we think you should watch it. I mean, do you very think that, Dom? Por-
1: very thought provoking.
0: Definitely. All right. Well, what is our next film on the schedule? Our next film on the schedule is
1: The Wind and the Lion by John Milius. And why are we watching it? It deals with kind of a fictional take on a kidnapping that was happening during Theodore Roosevelt's presidency oh he, we're going back and he plays a big role in the movie
0: right on all right well everybody if you want to follow along with us of course you can watch that and that's going to do it for this episode of silver screens and politics you can find me on twitter at rivers Rubin. dominic where can they find you
1: you can find me at on twitter at d-a-c-i-c-h-o-c-k-i
0: right on uh we'll catch you guys soon thanks so much bye